continue in our series in Hebrews. Um, if, it's your, if it's your first week, don't worry, you'll, you'll quickly catch up, you'll quickly get filled in on where we're up to. Um, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be here for a couple of weeks. Not, not literally a couple of weeks today. <laughs> but we're coming back next week to the same passage. And uh, I just want to... What I wanted to do this morning is really try and help some people who have got stuck in their walk with God. And the reason that they've got stuck is they've been receiving a gospel which is a mixture of good news and bad news. And I want to try and clarify for people why that happens so it doesn't happen to you, but also to set some people free who haven't spotted what the issue is and haven't spotted that in their own life. So that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. Um, So Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm going to begin at verse 1. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not be mixed with faith in those who heard it. And then go on to verse 9. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. And we're going to uh, really be looking at those verses right through this morning. But just to remind you of a couple of things that we've established already. What we've established is that the way we relate to God and the way we relate to God relates to us is nothing like the Old Testament people related to God. They had a covenant with God. And that covenant had terms, conditions. If you did good, you got good things. If you did bad things, you got punished. It had a price to be paid on it under it. It had penalties. It had blessings. It had curses. It was like a contract with lots of conditions and lots of sub-clauses and lots of sub-sub-clauses. And altogether, there was something that summed it up, and and the title given to it was the law. And the law consisted of 613 clauses. And we found out that Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't take it away, he fulfilled it. That means he kept every clause, he paid the total price, and the contract or the covenant is now complete. It's still there, but it's complete. And we've discovered that what we have instead is something that is totally different. It's not a series of conditions to fulfill to get God to do things. Instead, what we have is an inheritance, a will, a last will and testament. Strictly, we have an old covenant and a new testament. I know that doesn't sort of uh, fit the way that most Bibles have laid out, but we have a new testament and it starts with the death and resurrection of Jesus. It doesn't start at the beginning of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It starts with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's that that we're going to be looking at today. It's this idea of inheritance. There are only two things you can do with an inheritance. You can take it and use it, or you can leave it lying in a vault somewhere, or on a table somewhere, or in the lawyer's office somewhere. But there's nothing else you can do with an inheritance. You either use it and receive it, or you don't. You leave it lying. And, but there's a lot of things you can't do with an inheritance. For instance, you can't earn an inheritance. If you're a beneficiary named in a will, it's yours. You didn't earn it. The person who's dead earned it. In our case, Jesus earned it and paid for it. You can't earn an inheritance. You can't buy an inheritance. Here's something else you can't do. You can't take credit for an inheritance. You can't merit it. 
And here's something else you can't do. You can't change it. You can't make it any different. That's why God's love towards us is constant and it's unconditional because you can't change it. You, you weren't there 2,000 years ago when this will was written. So now you can't do anything about it. You can't make it any different, but what you can do is take advantage of it and be blessed by it and use it and, and let God uh, release his love to you through it. You can't add to the inheritance. You can't take away from it. And all you can do is receive it or not. So I just wanted to say that to make it really clear what we're talking about. That we're talking about something that God has given to us irrespective of our merit, irrespective of our goodness or lack of goodness, irrespective of our holiness or lack of holiness. God has given it to us. It's a free gift. That's called grace. The reason it's called grace is grace means unmerited favour. So just say with me, I can't earn it. I didn't merit it. God gave me it because he loves me. And for no other reason, he loves me. Amen. Amen. Now, there's a lot of people who are trying to communicate the gospel. Up and down the country this morning, there will be people preaching and they'll be teaching. But not only up and down the country, all across the world. And not only will they be preaching and teaching in front of groups of people like we have here this morning. By the way, you all look fantastic. Can I tell you that? You know, sometimes you need to be told how good you look. I'm particularly uh, excited by the hairstyles that we have this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I told her I was going to do that. That wasn't for you, Leslie. <laughs> but there's, there's so many ways that there is teaching and information about God available. You know, it's not like when I was growing up. I mean, I'm not that old, but it's not like when I was growing up and was a kid and you basically either had to go to church or you had to read a book. That was it. But now you can get stuff on Facebook, you can get stuff on the internet, you can get stuff on Instagram, you can get stuff by TV, you can go to conferences, you can go to summer camps, uh, you, can, you can get it by Twitter, you can get the gospel almost anywhere. You can get it download, you can watch it live stream. The gospel is out there. But what I find really interesting, and this is, I think something that we struggle with as believers is if it's so out there, more than it ever has been before, why is there so little impact? Why is there so little impact? You see, I don't go along with this idea that it's because we live in hard times. You see, Jesus lived in hard times. He, he, he lived in a country that was dominated and ruled over by a pagan culture who, who worshipped hundreds of gods. There's always been stuff that has been against the gospel. And yes, the ground is hard, but the ground was hard then. And Jesus had one thing to say. He said, look up because the fields are white for our harvest. And so we should be seeing more impact from the church as a whole. And, and I, looked, I, I talked about that a little bit last week, about how we narrowed down our experience and our encounter with God to our own little world of what's happening in my life. And that's, that's a real plan of the enemy. But I want to talk about two, perhaps, other reasons this morning. And the reason I want to talk about these is to try and set us free to live differently. Because there's no point me talking if it doesn't bring change in, cha in lives. You know, one of the things that we, we've discovered as a, as a body over the last 12, 18 months is this, that the most effective way of reaching people is changed lives, because changed lives change lives. And, and, and the gospel, Jesus came to change lives. He didn't come just so that you could be saved and get to heaven one day. He came to change your life right here, right now. 
He came to bring healing for the sick. He came to be deliverance for those in bondage. He came to set people free. He came to turn lives around. He came to so that we were not beaten down by circumstances, but we learned to overcome and go through circumstances. He came for us right here, right now. And we need to exhibit that change in our life because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to change. We're given the Holy Spirit so we can live differently from what we ever lived before. So why are we not seeing what the disciples saw? I um, have this little phrase and people will sometimes ask me, you know, they'll, they'll be defending their own particular theology or their own particular tradition or their own particular denomination. And, they're, they're, and I will say to them, but you don't, you, you're wrong. I can tell you right now your theology is wrong. My theology is wrong. Now, I know that's worrying you because I'm stood here, but you, everybody's theology is wrong in some place. Because if it wasn't wrong in some place, we would be walking like the disciples walked. So there's something each one of us as individuals and, and corporately the church as a whole is not understanding, has not received fully. Otherwise, we'd be seeing what the disciples saw. Now, I believe, and, and I don't want to... It's easy in these things to be negative, but that's not my purpose this morning. But it's easy to see why some of us get there, why we're in that position. The first reason I think why we're not making that impact that I want to just highlight briefly this morning is in those verses you'll re recognise that it said that the gospel was preached but it didn't profit them. The Apostle Paul says in Romans that the gospel, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for men unto salvation. And that makes me think about something. You see, if the gospel is the power of God, and we're not seeing the power of God, then perhaps what we're preaching isn't the gospel. Perhaps we're not preaching the whole of the gospel. Perhaps we're just preaching a little bit of the gospel. You know, I was shocked when I, I discovered things about the Holy Spirit, when I discovered that God heals, when I discovered that God sets free, people free, when I discovered that God had power, that, that the kingdom could be brought to earth through our prayers. When I discovered all these things, I was shocked because nobody had told me that for 20 years. And it, it was like, what have we talked about? What do we talk about to each other? What are we teaching people? And... It doesn't just need to be snippets of the gospel. It needs to be the whole of the gospel. We, we need to disciple in such a way that people learn to pray and see people healed. They learn to pray and see people delivered. They learn to, to witness in such a way that their changed lives affects other people's changed lives. We need to have the confidence that when we pray, the kingdom comes to earth. And, and if we're not doing that, we're robbing the gospel of its power. Now, I don't want that to be a negative. I just want you to see it because we have some way to go yet until we're walking in that level of confidence. But we, we, we're on the journey. And I don't intend for us as a body to back down. I intend for us to go further and deeper than we've ever gone before and to see more of God in this place than we've ever saw before. But not only in this place, wherever we are on a Monday morning, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday night or whatever, because the church isn't a building. The church isn't even the people in here. When you, when you walk out of here, the kingdom of God is just as much alive in you as it ever was. When you're at the coffee machine on a Monday morning, the kingdom of God, the spirit of Christ is alive in you. Where you go, the kingdom goes. We are mobile kingdom carriers, army. That doesn't add up, but we are the army that is mobile and we carry the kingdom. I'm getting excited now. I'm preaching myself happy already. But the, you see, the gospel, by its very definition, who knows what the word gospel means? 
good news. The gospel means good news. In fact, it means extreme good news. And the gospel is good news. The trouble is, you ask anybody outside the church, they recognize Christians as bad news people. We carry a good news gospel, but our reputation is we bring bad news. Something's not adding up, is it? You know, we are recognized for what we're against much more than we are recognized by who we are for. What we are against more than we recognize who we're for. You see, God isn't against people. He's for people. And quite honestly, I'm for him. I'm for Jesus, 100% for Jesus. 100%, that's my life. That's what I want. That's what I, I'm going for. I want to know him more, hearing more, know his heartbeat, know who he is more, and see his, his kingdom come more through what I do. So I'm for Jesus, not against things. I'm for something. I'm for someone and his name is Jesus and he's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and he's the only one worthy of laying my life down for in that way. You know, people struggle to see the love of God because we're too busy telling them how bad they are. We're too busy focusing on what's wrong with them for them to see what's right with God. You know, I believe that the Bible is totally accurate. And you see, when it says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God for salvation, if we're not seeing that power evident in the church, if we're not seeing that power evident in our own lives, then our response should be, Humility. To say, well, what, what, what can I learn? What, 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 what needs to change in me so that more of God is seen and less of me? And we need the humility to say, is what we're hearing and is what we're teaching actually the whole gospel? Anyway, so I wanted to throw that one up first. I don't want to major on that this morning. Because it's not good to major on something that is a negative. It's just good to be reminded of it. You see, because we carry good news, we major on the positives. We major on the positives of God's love, God's unconditional love for us. Salvation by grace through faith. The power of the resurrected Christ. That, that we've been given an inheritance and we're seated with him in heavenly places. And he expects us to use that inheritance that we've been given. So what's the second reason that I want to identify this morning? It's this. We're not seeing what the disciples saw, I believe, because we've created a belief system in, our, in, in, in people, in ourselves. We've created a belief system where it's assumed the access to the inheritance that we have from God is dependent on our goodness, our efforts, and our pleading. Now, you've had weeks and weeks of this teaching, so you're going, well, I can't believe anybody believes that. When you just go back to where you were when we started this teaching. You might not verbalize that, but nevertheless... It affects us. It affects things like we substitute quantity of prayer for the effective fervent prayer of a faithful believer. So it affects us. We substitute more study of the Bible for effectiveness in being a witness. We substitute all sorts of things. We substitute building an organization called the church instead of being the church to the world outside. And that's the worst thing I think we do at the moment. 
We, we've got very preoccupied on building organisations instead of enabling us to reach people. You see, God isn't in love in any way whatsoever with an organisation, but he is in love with people. Let me just ask you, and you don't, this is rhetorical, so I'm not expecting anybody to put hands up or anybody to, you know, um, embarrass themselves or identify themselves with this, but how many times have you heard this? We need to pray more. We need to fast more. We need to gather and cry out to God more. We need, to, we need holiness in this place. We need repentance in this place. And then when we're all sorry enough, when we've all cried out enough, when we've all pleaded enough, when we've all done enough, when we've fasted for 40 days, when we've made ourselves truly, truly miserable, God will move. That is really faulty thinking. How many times have you walked into a, a meeting or a conference or a church service or listened to something on TV and at the end of it, you've got a clear message that you're a miserable sinner. You don't deserve anything from God. How many times in your life have you left church feeling weak, tired, and just a failure, not, not hitting the mark? Why is it that we can produce that in people's lives. And, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not sort of, I can't think of the word, but I'm not stood here thinking, well, somebody's listening to this on Facebook Live and they're going, he's wrong anyway. That's how we should feel. Well, no, I think we should feel the fruits of the Spirit, shouldn't we? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. None of those say we, the fruit of the Spirit is misery, condemnation, guilt, feeling of failure. They're not fruits of the Spirit. They're accusations of an enemy. They relate to a completed covenant. There is now no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus and walk according to his Spirit. You are not a failure. You are filled with the power of Christ. You have the same power alive in you that raised Christ from the dead. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 tells you. In that context, you are never a failure. God looks at you. He doesn't see a failure. He sees a precious son of a precious daughter that he loves dearly. And yet we manage to produce this sense of failure in us. Like, I'm not a really, I'm not a very good Christian. If only I had, you know, if only I was like Mark. Well, heaven forbid that one. But, you know, if only I was like somebody else. If only I could pray like so-and-so can pray. If only I could do this like so-and-so can do it. If only I could witness like Connie witnesses or whatever. And we, and we have all these ideas. And you know what? The enemy takes those ideas in our head and uses it to debilitate us. Because you are not those people. You are you. You are a unique creation created to enjoy God, for him to enjoy and for his, to live for his glory. That's who you are. You see, I know I keep saying this. We have a simple gospel. I'd love to make it complicated. You know, you, you can make lots of money making things complicated. But that's not the point. We have a simple gospel. You know, some people will say, well, you know, I, I, I really need the deep things. Deep things aren't complicated things. Deep things aren't writing essays in a way that nobody understands what you're talking about. Deep things aren't going around in circles and using other people to confirm what you've said by their quotes that they didn't understand anyway. They're not deep things. The deep things are things that change you in the depths of your being. But nevertheless, they're simple things. We don't have to learn more to make progress in the kingdom. We have to unlearn a lot of things that we've learned. Here's a simple gospel which men have complicated. The gospel is an inheritance and it which is received and not earned. 
It is based solely on Christ's death and resurrection. He's done and none of your do. All you contribute to this is believing it and giving him your life so he can change you. That's your contribution. Other than that, you're here to receive because he's already done. He's already paid. But what we often hear taught is a really subtle mixture of grace, that's unmerited favour, with the merited product of our own efforts. You see, the mixed grace message contains a lot of elements of grace. You see, nobody, well, maybe some people are, but not many people are actually just preaching law in church. Not many people are just teaching law. What they're, but what they're doing is they're mixing grace with some elements of old covenant thinking. And that ultimately makes success in this life dependent on your efforts, your ability, your willpower, your religious observance, your devotions, and your merit. And so we have words that sound like grace and words that don't sound like grace, and they come in a mixture. You know, quite often I'll hear a talk and for 15 minutes I'll be going, this is amazing, this is fantastic. And then the last 10 minutes, it ends up setting me up for an altar call to make me sorry about how bad I am. You know, inside I'm the righteousness of Christ. I, in my spirit, I'm one third wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. That's who I am. That's the place I live from. I am, I am the righteousness of Christ. I am accepted in him. I am in him and he's in me. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. In all things, I'm more than a conqueror. I have, I'm, he calls me a saint. I might not call me a saint. Other churches might not call me a saint, but that's what Jesus calls me. That's how he sees me. When God looks at me, he doesn't remember my sins. He sees Jesus. That's the place I live from. That's who we need to start seeing ourselves as the person that we are. But we still behave in a way that says, do good, get good, do bad, get bad from God. That's old covenant thinking. You know, if we spent as much time loving other people as we do, trying to get into God's favour, we would be a lot more effective as a body and as individual believers. Often, we don't endure in faith to see the answer to our prayer because we have a belief system that says God must have withdrawn because of what I've done. So we don't endure it. Instead, we try to fix ourselves in order to get an answer to our prayer. And it simply does not work. Why? Because you can't change what was done 2,000 years ago. All you can do is receive it or not. It's not affected by this idea that God withdraws. The, the idea that God withdraws his favour is contrary to the nature of God. You were accusing God of something that doesn't represent him. Instead, it represents all the pagan gods who are nothing like him. What we have, and, and this is what I want to, to, to see, is, and the reason I'm telling you this, the reason I'm doing this this morning, is it, it's kind of a challenging message because we need to absorb it, is that to some extent we are all affected by a carrot and stick gospel, a mixture of carrots and sticks. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Okay. 
we've got this ca the carrot of if you do good, then you get blessed by God. You get your prayers answered, you make the heavens open, uh, and if you do good, good enough, for long, long enough, and as many of us do good, good enough as possible, then God might move in his country. Here's the problem with that. God is more concerned about the people in this country than you are. He wants to reach them much more than you do. He loves them more than you ever could. So don't you go pinning that on God. And then, then we have the, the sticks. Of If you mess up, God is angry with you. He's going to punish you. He's distant. He won't hear you. He's withdrawn his favour from you. And you won't get your prayers answered. That's the stick. And here's the interesting thing. You know, we, we'll talk about like when we're in that place, corporately we'll say, and when, 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 there's, when there's sin in the camp, the heavens are like brass and God won't do anything. Again, old covenant. Jesus has opened the heavens once and for all. We can walk boldly before the throne of grace, straight into God's presence any time we like. You see, this, this might be a bit controversial. I don't know where to say this or not. What do we think? Okay. I'll say it nicely. God does not come and go in waves. It is us who come and go in and out of his presence in waves because we misunderstand how to walk in his presence. We spend all our time stood outside the door shouting, can we come in, when actually the door is unlocked and we just walk in. And that's massive. I believe it's, it's debilitating because it causes us to have a mindset where we're waiting around in meetings asking God to do something and he's sat in heaven going, I'm waiting for you to do it. I just want to remind you of something. I know I say this regularly, but I don't want you to take anything I've said this morning as a license to sin. That would be stupid. Say, I'm not stupid. I'm not stupid. That would be idiotic. Say, I'm not an idiot. That would be crazy. You're not crazy, no. It would be stupid. Jesus didn't come so that you could just sin and not bother about it. Jesus came so that you could be set free from the dominion of sin, which you are, and so you could walk free of it. So don't take it that way. Don't like read into it something that I'm not saying. But what I'm saying is all the promises of God are yes and amen. There is no no. It doesn't depend on me. So when I mess up, when I do sin, God hasn't withdrawn his promises. They depend on whether I believe them or not. We need to start working a lot more on our faith and, and trusting God more and, and understanding his ways more than we do on trying to sort ourselves out by our own willpower, which is a guaranteed route to failure. What I'm saying is this, that your efforts to please, your merits, your trying harder, your religious observances, exhausting yourself, trying to get it right, will never, ever get you free. You know, and some people, I don't know, some people be going, well, it's a pretty arrogant thing to say, isn't it, Mark? Well, you know, what do you base that on? What makes you think you've got it right? And I'm not joking, people do say that to me. What makes you think you've got it right? <laughs> what makes you think you've got it right? Yeah, yeah, see. Here's how I know it doesn't work. Because Israel tried that for 2,000 plus years, trying to keep the law, trying to walk right, trying to keep everything based on their own efforts, their own merits, relate to God, be pleasing to him, and they couldn't do it. Not one single person has ever done it apart from Jesus. So what makes you think you can? If that's the basis we were supposed to relate to God, we're all going to fail. 
That's why I think I've got it right. Because Israel tested that theory to destruction and failed. I forgot where I'm going now. Hang on. <laughs> so, how do you recognise... Because the, the problem is not, like, is this... Have you got it or not? The problem is, how do you recognise it when you listen to it? Because we absorb stuff subtly. And it becomes a part of us. And that handicaps us. It in some ways, it turns us off God. It dries us up. It, it creates that sense in our, our walk with God that what, what we're left with is, you know, I'm, I'm really dry. God seems distant. He seems miles away. I don't know how to get myself on fire for him again and all that sort of and, and the primary cause of that is we've absorbed a lot of these things subtly. Not because we wanted to, but because we've absorbed them subtly. And the reason we absorb them is a good reason. Because we love Jesus and we want to see more of God in our life and we want to be more pleasing to God in our life. So we go after God, we hear all this stuff and we absorb it. And, and, and we come away going, I want to be more pleasing to God. I want to love God more. I want to see more of God in my life. Therefore, I need to do this, this and this and this to be pleasing to him. Because we subtly absorb it. And yet, if we, if we sat down and thought about it, it kind of doesn't add up. So let's just clarify what the Apostle Paul has to say on, on this. Galatians 3, verses 1 to 3. You foolish Galatians, okay? You foolish Cambridgean, Averillian, aliens, whatever. <laughs> you foolish Papworthians. Anywhere else. Foolish new marketians. Whatever. Wherever you come from. You foolish people. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Answer is? Hearing of faith. Are you so foolish... Having begun in the spirit, you're now trying to be made right or perfect by the flesh. Are you foolish? So, foolishness equates to trying to be made right with God by fleshly things that we do. Things, our own works. By that, I don't mean that we shouldn't do anything. I mean that works that we do to try and get God pleased with us. Just in case you don't believe me, let's go to Colossians 2, verse 6. As you therefore receive Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ? So somebody told you about Jesus. He told you that... The only way that you could be made right with God was to trust in what Christ had done for you at the cross, that he died, he took the punishment for your sins, and he rose again to new life to give you new life. And you accepted him, you received him into your life. You gave him your life. That's how you receive Christ, yeah? Through faith, based on what he'd done. And, and what Paul's saying is here is the way you receive Christ is the way you walk in him. Jesus didn't come to you and say, I'd really like to save you, but you haven't prayed hard enough, you haven't done enough, you haven't read your Bible enough, you haven't done enough good works of service at church enough, you haven't done this, you haven't done that, you haven't fasted for 40 days, you haven't gone without water for a week, and therefore I can't save you. He didn't say any of that, did he? He said, come to me and I'll save you. All you've got to do is believe what I've done for you. Receive what I've done. Uh, Romans 11, verse 6. If, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Bit of a tongue twister, but hopefully you get the point. 
that you can't have works and grace. If it's not, if it's works, it's not grace, and if it's grace, it's not works. So all that seems pretty clear, yeah? Saved by grace, live by grace. So how do you spot this mixed carrot and stick message? Well, the harder way to spot it is to try and analyze it and do it theologically. You can do it that way. That's kind of what I've done this morning to some extent. But here's the way you do it. You look at what fruit, what you're hearing is producing in your life. Jesus said, by, your, by their fruits, you will know them. And so when we're hearing a mixed law and grace message, the, the carrot and stick message, this is what we'll find. This is the fruit we'll, we'll feel. Firstly, you'll feel a pressure to perform, a pressure to get things right. And it'll make you feel that whatever you're doing, you're always falling just that little bit short. You're never quite doing enough. That's the first thing it'll produce. Second thing it'll produce is, is this. You will hear a lot more about what you must do, we must build, we must create, we must do better, we must, we must, we must. The, thing you'll, the third thing is this. The thing you'll see and feel most of all is fear of failure. This sense that you are always letting God down. And maybe you are. But the answer to that doesn't lie down the path of solving it by your own efforts. The answer lies down the path of going again to the Saviour and falling in love with him. You'll hear the word more a lot. You'll hear the word better a lot. You'll hear the word fail. You'll hear weak. You'll hear try harder. You'll hear push through. You'll hear pay the price. Those are the sort of words you'll be hearing. And... A big indicator that you are, you, you've got the fruit of this in your life, a big indicator is this. Since this mixed carrot and stick or mixed grace message puts the emphasis on you and what you could do and what you should have done and what you haven't done yet, your identity becomes defined by your performance. If you think of yourself and measure yourself and, and your worth in terms of your performance, it's likely that this is what you've been hearing and what you've absorbed. Here's a second big pointer. You will think of yourself and in your relationship with God as a servant of a slave. Now, I know it uses words like bond servant and, and stuff like that, but that's voluntary. That's something we, they're giving to, they, we choose to do. You see, God didn't save you so you could slave for him. He saved you because he loves you. And he didn't save you to make you a slave. He saved you to set you free from the slavery of sin and be adopted into his family as a precious, loved son or daughter. <coughs> and here's the third thing that, that you'll, you'll notice about this. Third big warning is that in practice, I'm not saying in your head, but in practice, your response to what is happening in your life is to trust in your own works instead of the works of Jesus. You put self-trust first and God is a long stop who, who bails you out if it all goes wrong. Instead of God first and he's, we walk hearing his spirit and taking his direction. Now that third one is the subtlest of all. Yeah. But think about it. Where do you put your trust? 
Where's, where's your time, your energy, your worry, your anxiety? Where's that going? Where's your finances go? Where's your passions go? Where's your energy go? What is it you are really trusting in? Is it you, your effort and your talent? Or how much of your outcome you get in your life do you think depends on God? Watchman Nee said this, you can try or you can trust. And the difference is heaven or hell. Corrie ten Boom said this, when I try, I fail. When I trust, he succeeds. Amen? This question of trust really goes to the heart of why so few of us see even a, a part of what is ours in Christ. You see, when we're talking about inheritances, that mixed grace, mixed carrot and stick gospel, which is no gospel at all, to quote Paul, isn't the right mix. And we need the right mix in order to be able to receive. It's not that there isn't a mix, but we need the right mix. And you see, what do we have to mix it with? Well, if we go back to Hebrews 4.2, it says the gospel that was preached didn't profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. So faith, trusting God, is the right mix. That's what makes the gospel effective in our life, trust in God. Remember, we did a, a series not long ago about, um, you know, how we, we deal with difficult times and crises and stuff. And we, we learned that in the crisis, you do three things, which are trust God, do God, help people. Sorry, trust God, do good, help people. Same thing, do good, do God, same thing. <laughs> now, I just want to, before I, I sort of like finish this off, I want to just clear up something because some of us really like who are still concentrating by this point will be going, but I thought I was saved to do good works. And, and so we, we automatically think grace is given in order to, for us to do good works. And I'll tell you where we get that from. We get, it, we get it from this verse in Ephesians. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that they should walk in them. And so I just want to clear that up because if I don't clear that verse up, some of you will go away and go, oh, I didn't think that was right. God does not give us grace so we can work for him. He gives us grace because he loves us. Those who receive his grace are his workmanship. That word workmanship comes from a Greek word, poema. I think I've pronounced it right. That's where we get poetry from. Those who receive grace are God's poetry. It means that God, the master designer of the universe, has made us a new creation, which is his masterpiece. We are the masterpiece of God. You are the masterpiece of God. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Before you were born again, you were unable to do the good things that God had for you. But now your life has a purpose and it has the power to live out that purpose. It has a destiny, it's a new creation. You are a living work of art and design created by God. You are a masterpiece ready to change this nation, ready to change your neighbourhood, ready to change that person that you meet tomorrow and the day after and the day after. You are a masterpiece of God. That is who you are. Don't let the enemy tell you anything different. God gave us the gift of grace, that's his unmerited favour, because he loves us. 
And as a result, we adopted into his family, we given new life, a new purpose, and new possibilities that weren't there before. Now, here's the point of going back to that verse. Those who receive the inheritance will indeed do amazing things because of who they are. They, they, they were, people who receive the inheritance will often work harder, longer, and put more effort in than people who haven't. That should be our nature. You know, God wasn't lazy. He wasn't somebody who, who rode on the back of other people. He came as a servant and did it all himself for us. And, and so people who grasp who God is and the, the fact that Christ lives in them will work harder, they will do more, they will see more. But it wasn't why you were made. It's just now who you are. You are a masterpiece of God who is capable of doing things that were impossible to you when you didn't believe. So this is the right mixture. If grace and self-effort is a toxic mix, the right mix is grace and faith. If we do not mix the gospel with faith, it won't benefit us. And that's really where I wanted to come to this morning. Because the truth of what Christ has done for us is this. If we believe it, we receive it. If we don't, we won't. We can't just hear this and it works. Because right across the world right now, people are hearing the gospel and it's not working for them. You actually have to believe it and trust in it enough that it, it runs your life, that it governs your life. You walk by trust in God in a realm called the impossible rather than walking in no trust in a realm called the possible. You see, God and faith only exists beyond what we're capable of. So I'm encouraging you, firstly, to shake off any vestiges of that carrot and stick gospel that you've heard, or that is no gospel. And instead, put all your trust onto Jesus. Believe what he says and step out beyond what you thought was possible. Believe in him and the promises that he's already said are yes and amen. Amen? Amen. amen. amen.